along those lines, you know, a lot of people think hospice is giving up, and that is, you know, not the case at all. Uh, the, the focus is not on giving up. Uh, the focus is on uh, taking care of a patient, and no matter what's going on, you, you can always provide care to someone. Welcome to the Answers on Aging podcast. This podcast provides solutions to your questions and commonly faced challenges about caregiving, legal and financial issues, personal struggles associated with the normal aspects of aging, and the unforeseen obstacles that oftentimes can be life-altering and even devastating. Each episode dissects real-life, real-time issues and will often feature special guests guests who bring expert level knowledge and free resources straight to you. This podcast is hosted by certified elder law attorney Todd Watley and licensed nursing home administrator Sarah Scott. Together, these aging experts bring an impressive combined 30 plus years of experience to the table in order to give you all the answers on aging. All right. Yes, this is Answers on Aging, and I appreciate everyone who listens and maybe has been listening. And, and so we're doing episode 10, and as always, I am here with my beautiful co-host, Sarah Scott. Hey, Todd Watley. I'm so happy about today's episode, and uh, as always, really glad that you decided to tune in again. I hope you've learned a lot mm-hmm. from the podcast so far, Answers on Aging. And if you have listened to all the episodes, I think you can find a common theme in that the topics that we cover are sometimes pretty lengthy. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> episode 10 has two parts. Yep. So you've already learned in part one of episode 10 about what you should know about hospice care from a, a personal family member perspective. And today, we are giving you the same answer, but from a firsthand expert medical perspective. Yep. So we're really excited about our special guest today. And who is that? Well, today we have Dr. Thomas E. Harris. He is a hospice medical director. He has been a doctor for 36 years and has over 15 years of hospice-focused services under his belt. So welcome, Dr. Harris. I'm on here. Yes. I appreciate it. We are so, so excited to have you. I think probably one of the first questions people will have is, what what makes a hospice doctor different than any other doctor? And you know, what do you do for clients that other doctors don't do? Uh, in hospice, our primary goals are whatever the patient's goals of care are. So wow. we focus on what they want and taking care of those needs and wants. So, and most of the time, people typically think about it in relation to, say, a cancer patient. So they want pain control. They want their nausea controlled. And so we specialize in taking care of those. In addition, our responsibility is taking not just care of the physical part, uh, but the spiritual and emotional part. And along those lines, we've got social workers and chaplains. And so we have a lot of resources to try and take care of the whole person. 
Absolutely. And it really is a holistic approach. And I don't mean that in the sense that you don't use medication type holistic approach, but you know, this is really important. And we wanted to have you speak to these things today from the medical perspective, because once people either who are considering receiving hospice services or are the caregiver of someone maybe about to go on hospice or that conversation is just starting understanding you know the personal perspective but then on the medical side knowing what exactly to expect and what does that actually mean medically that my loved one has to go on hospice and then what are some things that maybe we could do to just ensure a successful outcome and and so um, that's what we're going to dive into today I find it interesting that your your first comment was we do what the patient wants and Mm -hmm. that that is so unique because typically when you're in the hospital getting better the doctors are telling you we're doing this test we're doing this you need this surgery you seem kind of to be at their mercy and you do what they say and it's just i find it interesting that that's what you just said is we we do what the patient wants and that is very unusual and that's true the you know the focus in the hospital or in conventional medicine primarily is to treat the disease and so they are focused on treating the disease and you know there's a lot of doctors who take care of the other things too but and our focus is, you know, on the patient themselves. And so, you know, the first conversation is always, what do they want? And then we, then we go down the road from there. Mm-hmm. Do you see in whenever you guys are asking those questions, what do you want? What do you think is one of the most common responses that you get? Uh, there's a couple of them. Uh, the first response, you know, is typical for most people is that, they want their symptoms relieved. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they've got pain, if they've got nausea and vomiting, if they can't sleep, those are the first things that come up. Uh, and then once we get uh, taking care of those, uh, then they often want, uh, I will say, emotional things taken care of. They want the family, they want the family to be with them, uh, you know, support and those things. And, and we address all those issues with them. Right. So let's answer this first question and and talk about what are the actual medical requirements for someone to receive hospice services? So in the United States, uh, the rules are set by Medicare Mm -hmm. because most people on hospice are on Medicare. And then Medicaid in most states and even the private insurance, if somebody's not on Medicare, they tend to follow the same rules. And so the first rule is that a physician has to certify that the uh, patient has an illness that will likely lead to their death in less than six months. Okay. And that one is pretty straightforward in one way, but in another way it's not because, you know, that is a very difficult thing to predict in some cases. Sure. Sure. There's not a limit on the amount of time somebody can actually be on hospice. We have patients sometimes who are on here for several years. Wow. So then explain, if you can, in, in the most layman's terms possible, how on earth can you get 
a, a prognosis of six months or less to live and be on those same services for years. How does that even work? Most people think of the hospice in regards to like cancer, which is uh-huh. true. In those cases, it's a lot easier to make uh, a prognosis with a specific timeline because you know what the disease is right. and what it normally does. Uh, we have a number of people on hospice with uh, heart disease, okay. and then that is not very clear, even right. though they may have a lot of disease and an ejection fraction, mm-hmm. the heart's not pumping very strong, and they're not a candidate for surgery. Right. Uh, they may, their life expectancy can be anywhere from three months to three years. Wow. And so, and that's the reality of our, our ability to predict. Uh, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's is another one like that. That's about, have certain about criteria. Yeah. 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 So, so with Alzheimer's, we have certain criteria they have to meet to go on hospice. Mm-hmm. But with it, once you meet that criteria, that doesn't mean uh, necessarily that you've only got three months or two years. It can be a large range in there with Alzheimer's type dementia. So, and our, our next question is, what services does someone under hospice receive? And I think another question is, what changes when a mm-hmm. person goes from traditional medical care to hospice care, what changes really what services do you offer and how does that differ let's take the first part of that one from traditional medical care to hospice uh traditional medical care uh again you can use cancer as an example they're going to be doing radiation chemo and surgery if the disease has progressed where that's not an option anymore then in hospice our focus is on taking care of the symptoms and as an example, that other one I mentioned, heart disease, it's the same thing. When they're on maximal medications, they're not a candidate for surgery, but they're still so severe that, say, they can't even get up without having chest pain or difficulty breathing, that's when they qualify. And so our goal at that time is to take care of their symptoms because we can't alter the disease process. Okay. Um, would it be fair to say that when you go on hospice, let's take that perfect example of heart disease, CHF, and exacerbations or, or COPD, which are oftentimes kind of existing amongst one another. Mm-hmm. And you've got that just hamster wheel of going in and out of the emergency room, and you just can't keep up anymore with, you know, all the fluid buildup and the shortness of breath. I know that's so common and people listening will automatically think, oh, that's me or I know that person that she's talking about. So how, I mean, how long do you think something like that, like that repetitive in and out of the hospital, having multiple episodes of these acute exacerbations, would someone, should someone let go on and on before talking about hospice or even considering it, because they could be 50, 60 years old. That's right. I've got several patients in their 50s and 60s with both COPD and heart disease right now. Yeah. And the key thing is, are they on maximum therapy? Have they done everything possible that they can, but they're still having these symptoms 
And what you said is right. That's one of the criteria for coming to hospices, repeated emergency room or hospital visits. Mm-hmm. And the outcome is the same each time. Yeah. And one of the things that we are able to do for that, uh, both with COPD and heart disease, you know, the nurses are going out to the house, you know, one to three times a week and speaking directly back to me, we're adjusting their medicines. So uh, instead of having to go to the ER, the nurse will come to them. And if it gets severe enough, we actually have an inpatient unit and we can bring them in and do some of the things we do at the hospital, like if somebody's got a lot of fluid from heart disease, if we if we can't take care of it at home, we can bring them in and do it here. And I will say this is, you know, the hospice houses are much more healing environment. You don't oh, have lots yeah. of monitors going off. People aren't waking you up every couple of hours and stuff. Right. <clears throat> okay. Very good. So what are some of the expectations what should the expectations be for someone receiving hospice or has a loved one that is on hospice? Kind of go back to that benefit part. So most of our hospice patients are at home because that's where they want to be. Okay. About less than 10% typically are in one of the inpatient units um, most of the time. And so they're getting care at home. There's nurses that go out and see them you know, one to three times a week, depending on what the patient needs. There's aides that go out and help them bathe and do things like that. The social workers will go out and visit, and if there's any specific social needs, they will address those. And then our chaplains will actually go out and see them, too. So all these people are visiting them at home, and that's where we try to provide the most care. Um, Unfortunately, we're not there 24 hours a day. So some people uh, think that when they go on hospice that the nurse is going to go stay there in the house, and that's not the case. So there needs to be somebody in the family who can at least be a part-time caregiver in those situations. Sure, and that's for the in-home care hospice services. But you also will find that many long-term care facilities, whether that's assisted living or memory care or nursing homes, will have contracts with different hospice care providers that come to that facility um, for for those who already have the 24-7 care. And so there's really a lot of different options as far as, um, I think, the method in which you receive the care, whether that's in your home or inside of a facility or even a nice hospice house. But um, I just think it's really important for those people, especially because no matter what, it always seems like when there's a hospice resident or client that we're working with, the family after that person has passed away or sometimes even before that happens says, man, I wish we would have done this sooner. And so I just want to stress that, kind of drive that home because you could be very well 50 or 60 years old and being bounced in and out of the hospital and not even realize that, hey, you might be a candidate for a hospice consult. And so how would um, someone who either is struggling with that condition or have a loved one that is go about getting a hospice consult? Like, how do you even start that conversation? Is it with your doctor? Uh, You can start with your doctor. 
or you can call hospice directly. Uh, any of the hospices, you can just look them up. They all have a phone number and call them directly, and they will send a nurse out to talk to you and tell you what all the options are. You know, ultimately, a physician has to sign off for the referral, but to talk to them, uh, all you have to do is call the hospice themselves. Okay. And uh, go, go back to, you brought up a really good point that I hadn't mentioned earlier uh, about the assisted living and the long-term care facilities. Uh, what hospice does in there is just add another layer of care uh, for the patient on top of what they're already getting. And it, in some cases, we can do some things that they otherwise can't do in long-term care facilities. So right. if somebody right. needs certain pain medicines, we have the ability to do things that can't otherwise be done. Yeah. Right. I've always explained to family members or residents who are already in the nursing home that are considering or going um, on to hospice services that this is an extra set of eyes, ears, hands, support, in addition to what the facility is already providing. It's not something that causes the facility to say, oh, nope, they're on, on hospice, hands off, you know, we can't touch them anymore. It's an additional layer of services that Medicare covers. And so if it's available, by all means, take advantage of that. It's there for a reason. Along those lines, you know, a lot of people think hospice is giving up, and that is, you know, not the case at all. Uh, the, the focus is not on giving up. Uh, the focus is on uh, taking care of a patient, and no matter what's going on, you, you can always provide care to someone. Absolutely. One of the uh, one of the things that I think is so important and incredibly helpful for the family members that um, I don't recall you listing when we talked about what are the expectations um, is that grief counseling and support after you lose your loved one. And that's so, so helpful. Right. And you're right. I did mention that earlier. Um, we do provide grief support. We've got private counseling sessions. We've got group sessions. And we follow up uh, with the family and loved ones um, specifically up to a year after someone passes and longer if needed. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's huge. I know when my mom passed away, they, um, I was getting letters all the time. Hey, Todd, we're here if you need us. And I, you know, I was doing okay after it occurred, but yeah, I, I knew that they were there and I could call them and talk to them. And, and actually her last day, I kind of broke down and, and the, the social worker was there for me. And, you know, that's very unusual is typically the, the focus is on the patient. It's mm -hmm. all on the patient. Everything's for the patient. But in hospice, y'all do, y'all do actually look past the patient and, and help the patient and their family deal with this, which is, which is a big deal. And I know what Sarah said, and I've heard it, and I know you've heard it, is so many people say, I wish we had done this sooner. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do have some thoughts on that in that uh, a number of our patients are only on service for a few days, sometimes only for a few hours. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that doesn't give us a lot of time to work with them, uh, particularly from an, the family, from an emotional viewpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, it is uh, much better, you know, if you're eligible to go on it early, 
There's actually some studies that in certain cases that people actually survive longer once they go on hospice than if they hadn't. Right. So, yeah, the earlier that you qualify, the more care we're able to provide you. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, what else do you think that people need to know from the medical perspective in regards to either getting hospice care or having a, a loved one on hospice services? couple of things. One's financial. It is a Medicare benefit, and once you go on hospice, everything is covered uh, by hospice. So if you need a hospital bed, if you need oxygen, all the medications that are related to it, which almost all the medications that the patient is on will be covered. Uh, so from a financial viewpoint, that can be really important for some people. Yeah. I think one thing that I see as an attorney and I see, you know, families fight and, you know, have problems. And I think one thing that I've seen that was particularly important was, you know, there are times that the family needs to heal and there is no better time than when the parent is on their deathbed. And many times under their previous medical treatment, they were sedated. They were not able to communicate well. And I have seen cases where you as the hospice physician do what you need to do to get this person awake and alert, even if it's just for a few hours so that the family can come together and kids can apologize and, you know, people can all get together. And that doesn't happen under traditional medical care, but in hospice, you're able to do things that don't make sense medically to keep this person alive, but to get them to a point and even take a Corvette ride or mm. bring in a horse or, you know, there's so many things you can do and you can get the person medically in a position to clear up some things at this very important point in their life. And I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I'm just saying I've seen it happen and it's been so incredibly important for families to have two or three good hours that a lot of stuff comes to light and a lot of mm -hmm. stuff gets solved. And you're absolutely right about that. Okay. Uh, and that's always my goal when somebody is, particularly in here in the inpatient unit, but yeah. also at home, uh, is you know, we would like to relieve all their symptoms or nausea, the pain, at the same time, keeping them awake, alert, and able to talk to family members. Wow. Um, and what you said is right, because at that point, uh, there are a lot of important conversations that go on among the family members. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. y'all have social workers, chaplains that can facilitate that, help that, <laughs> um, referee that maybe. Yeah, be moderators. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, referee is a good term. Firefighter, <laughs> yeah. referee. I've, yeah, uh -huh. I've been in those meetings. So, yes. okay. I, I think the social workers use the term facilitate. Okay. Yes, facilitate. That's a good sterile term. I said term. moderator, but <laughs> yeah. I meant to say facilitate. Facilitate. Yes. All right. Is there anything yep. else that you want our listeners to know that we've not talked about? Is there anything we've missed? I think we mentioned it earlier, you know, if they've got questions, if they want to start with their position, that's fine. Or if they just want to directly call any of the local hospices. Hospices are licensed by county. Okay. And so, like, Circle of Life is licensed for the four counties here in northwest Arkansas. Right. And, 
you can call any one of them and they will have someone come out, a nurse come out and talk to you and, and just see if it's the right thing for you to do at that time. You know, in the show notes, I will research and find a hospice locator and put a website in the show notes for um, a link to your local hospice agency. Sure. So I'll look that up and plug it into the uh, into the show notes that they can find on the website and then tied to the, each episode. Right. Well, Dr. Harris, thank you so much. This has been very informative and hopefully we have helped someone out there answer the question of what is hospice and then should I go into hospice? And I think your, your answer is if you're even thinking about it, call and talk about it. It's not giving up. It's a different mode of medicine. It's a different mode of caring for the patient and their family. And I'm, I'm a huge advocate because I went through it with my mom and it was just beautiful and I'm a huge advocate and I appreciate your words. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Answers on Aging podcast with Todd and Sarah. Be sure to hit the subscribe and keep tuning in each week as they bring you helpful, useful, and easy to find resources for making life as we age as simple and enjoyable as possible. For more information about today's episode, go to AnswersOnAgingPodcast.com. Click on the show notes tab and take advantage of the free resources right there at your fingertips. To see Todd and Sarah live, tune in to the Facebook page Senior Services NWA to catch their weekly live radio program every Wednesday morning. Todd and Sarah welcome feedback and love to answer your questions. So please let them know what you think by leaving a review and share with your friends and family.